you are here today, and you are, <laughs> just want to be sure you knew that. But if you you may say, wait a minute. The responsive reading scripture was a psalm of lament. How long, O Lord, how long will you not hear me? The psalmist crying out and saying, I'm struggling, I'm hurting. How long, O Lord, will you not show me your face and show me your grace in a way that I recognize and that I want you to do? It was a psalm of lament, a psalm of sorrow, a psalm of crying out to God. And and then for the hearing of the word, as Pastor Todd came, we had that great catalog testimony of the Apostle Paul of all his suffering. I mean, that's a great advertisement for the Christian life, isn't it? Come and be beaten and shipwrecked and storms go through and out in the wilderness and in the city and by false brethren and by my national brethren. I mean, on and on and on he goes about all the, all the suffering he's going through because he's a believer, because he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. I mean, that kind of flies in the face of a lot of the health and wealth gospel of our day, without a doubt. It's not a great advertisement if you're trying to say, come to Jesus, because when you come to Jesus, everything will be great. You'll never have another problem in your whole life. Paul would say, excuse me, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's theological. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's experientially true. And you go on and on and on with what the apostle might say about that. But what we have to realize is that suffering and pain And things going the way that we don't necessarily think they ought to go or we would like for them to go is part and parcel for the Christian life. As we talked about last week a little bit, Jesus himself said, if they they love me, if they heard me, they'll hear you and they'll love you. But if they hated me, which most of them did, they will hate you also. They will not receive you kindly if you're my disciple if they did not receive me kindly. And when Paul comes to this fifth chapter of Romans that we're going to, that we're going to continue looking at this morning, and he's talking about the, the results of justification. He's talking about the results of our conversion, the, the results of us being in Christ and in union with Christ. He does not shy away from saying that, that suffering and tribulations and hardships and problems are going to be a part of it. And it's going to come from places that we don't expect. He's not really talking about having a bad cold. He's not really talking about even being sick because of the the sicknesses of this world. He's basically talking about pressure that's going to be brought on every believer because of their faith in Christ. He's really talking about living in the kind of world that you and I are living in today. And if we are obedient and faithful to follow Christ, there will be opposition. There will be pressure. There will be tribulation. There will be struggles. If we are following Christ and being obedient to Christ, it will not be a bed of roses. It will not be a simple life. Paul wants us to understand that because unless we understand that, we will be shocked when things happen and we ought not be. Hear what Paul says in in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 again and read through verse 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, therefore... He's just talking about justification and all the greatness of being made right with God through that. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. All of that sounds great, and it is great. We have peace with God, we stand in His grace, and we have hope and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, seeing His glory fill the earth and being in the presence of His, of His glory for all of eternity. So Paul says, listen, what more could you ask for? Peace with God, standing in grace, hoping for His glory. Those are great things that are results of being justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But in verse 3, he says, not only that, and we looked at this, this first phrase last week, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I imagine everyone of us in here can rejoice in the fact of having peace with God. Every one of us can rejoice in the fact of standing in His grace, a continuous flow of grace in our lives. I, I rejoice in, in peace with God. I rejoice in standing in His grace. And I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I can't wait till I see Him face to face and see that glory shining and just flooding all over me. Those are things to rejoice about. But Paul says, and not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in those pressures we rejoice in the things that are not comfortable in this life because of our faith in Christ. He says we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, or yours may say that hope does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of our Lord. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to know something. And I want you, as we sit here this morning, to think for a minute in those verses 3 through 5, what do you think is the most, you don't have to shout it out or anything, just think about it. What, what do you think in those three verses is the most important word? Is it suffering? Is it endurance? Is, which would be also patience kind of things? Is it, is it thinking about, you know, uh, uh, character or hope or not being put to shame? What do you think is the most important word in those first three verses? I tend to think the most important word there is that word knowing. Or your, verse may say, or your version may say, and we know. But the, the idea of know, not just knowing that, that we, we have a knowledge of it, we have, a, we have an assurance of it, we have a certainty of it. Paul says, I want you to know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. One of the things Paul wants us to see very clearly is this, is that suffering is the only path to glory. It's the only path to the glory of God. It's not through our own self-worth. It's not through our own self-effort. Suffering is the only path to glory. It was so for Christ. Where did Christ receive his glory? He received his glory through the cross, through his suffering, through the, the purgings that took place prior and the scourgings that took place prior to that cross experience. And, and through that cross, his glory was demonstrated. And if it was so for Christ, it's so for us. We won't find a path to glory, the glory of God, apart from suffering in this life. Secondly, Paul wants to see that if suffering 
leads to glory in the end, then it leads to maturity in the meanwhile. It leads to glory in the end, and we will be in the presence of God amongst His glory for all of eternity. But what suffering leads to on the way to glory is maturity. That's what he's talking about when he talks about you know, endurance and, and, and character and, and hope. All of those things are part of spiritual Christian maturity. The word endurance there is an interesting word. We've seen it translated as patience. We've seen it translated in other ways. Uh, and, and, and the truth is, it's, it's a good word. It's an important word. But folks, let me just give you a little counsel here this morning. It's a word you ought never pray for. Paul very clearly says, now, now, now we know that suffering produces patience or endurance, but he doesn't say here, now folks, start praying for patience. There's a story I heard years and years ago about uh, Pastor Robert Chapman, who was a pastor in England back in the, the mid-1800s, kind of a contemporary of, of Charles Spurgeon. And, and Chapman was, was a very popular Bible teacher and preached and taught all over. One day a young man came to Dr. Chapman and he said to Dr. Chapman, uh, Pastor Chapman, would you pray for me to have patience? And Chapman kind of surprised me. He said, well, yeah, let, let's pray right now. And so Chapman began to pray. They closed their eyes and Chapman said, Oh Lord, send this young man tribulation and hardships. He went on and prayed a bit more. And when he finished, the young man just kind of expostulated and he said, Mr. Chapman, I was asking you to pray for patience. And Chapman said, I know, but tribulation is the only way to patience. Kind of reminds me of the man that one time said, you know, God, give me patience and and give it to me now. It just doesn't happen that way. And, and tribulations will build patience, but we don't pray for patience because the only way to get patience is to get tribulations. It's not some kind of magical pill that God gives. So Paul says, I want you to understand that this suffering, these tribulations, these hardships will indeed lead to maturity. Thirdly, he says, we need to understand that Suffering is the best context in which to become assured of God's love. It's the best context to become assured of God's love. That's, that's what he's going to say to us on down in there when he says the Holy Spirit has poured into our hearts the love of God. And, and it's in suffering, in tribulations, that we really become assured of God's love. Now, I realize some would challenge that. Someone said, well, I think, I think we see God's love more fully when we don't have any problems. I, I think, and even, even the atheist and even those who are, who are kind of antagonistic to the faith will say, you know, if God is really good, he wouldn't let these bad things happen. And if God were really all-powerful, then he would stop them. And if he's loving and all-powerful, he certainly would put a stop to them. And so you've got the Rabbi Kushners of the world and, and why do bad things happen to good people saying, well, you know, God is either all-good or all-powerful. He can't be both. I continue you this morning that God is both. He is all-good and he's all-powerful and he sends tribulations for our good in our lives. But I want you to also see that the Apostle Paul is not saying tribulation leads to endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint or does not put us to shame for every single person on the face of the earth. There are probably some of you in here this morning who have gone through some difficult times and you've not been so patient. 
There, there are a lot of people in the world today who are going through difficult times and curse God as Job's friends encourage him to do. There are people who say, wait a minute, Bill, are you saying there's a, there's a carte blanche promise that if we have hardships, ultimately we'll end in our hope? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is limiting this to a particular group of people, just as he does Romans 8, 28. You know, I get so weary of people saying, well, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says all things will work together for good. And they stop there. It's not what Paul said in Romans 8, 28. He doesn't say just grit your teeth and bear it and get real stoic about it and just say, you know, God's going to work this out. God's going to make it happen. And so all things are going to work together for good eventually. That's not what he says. He says all things are going to work together for good. And then he qualifies it. To those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Those who don't love God through Jesus Christ and those who do not know the call of God to the purpose of God in their life will never know all bad things working together for good. Just won't. I mean, ultimately their destination will not prove out to be so good if they don't love God through Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying basically the same thing here. He's not saying, don't worry about it, just hang in there, just... Just do your very best and it's all going to work out in the end. But he qualifies that there at the end in that last verse when he says God's love has been poured out into our, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He says it's those who have the Holy Spirit. Those who are adopted into God's family, if you will. Those who, who know the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit in their life. And the Holy Spirit is at work in their life. It's them that will experience this progression to maturity and ultimately this progression to glory. And, and I want you to see here, if you haven't noticed this already, that that is the first mention the Apostle Paul makes in all the book of Romans of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. It's the first time he mentions this. It's after justification, although we know the Spirit is vitally involved in the process of justification and drawing us to faith in Christ, according to Jesus in John 10, John 6, and other places. And, and, he's, and he's vitally involved in that. But this is the first time the Apostle Paul in this book says, now here's what the work of the Spirit is in your life. And he doesn't say it's to make you a super Christian. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit's work is to keep you out of trouble and keep you apart from tribulation. No, he says, I want you to know that all of these things work toward the ultimate goal of the glory of God because the Holy Spirit is continuously pouring out the love of Christ into your life if you're a believer. And you can face a hard time, you can face a difficult situation because the Holy Spirit is present with you and because you are leaning upon him, depending upon him, and trusting in him no matter what the circumstances look like. Paul said, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand, first of all, that, that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to all believers. That's what he's saying here. Some have taken this pact about the Holy Spirit poured out the love of God into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. They want to they take that verse and say, well, that's some kind of a, a second blessing or some kind of a, 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 an extra work where the Holy Spirit now is in your life. No, the Holy Spirit is in the life of every true believer. He's been given as a gift. 
We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have, been, we have been bonded together with Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so as a consequence of, of justification, the Holy Spirit is present. He's a gift to all believers. And it's not possible to be justified by faith without at the same time being regenerated and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Paul wants us to see that. He's saying, I want you to know the Spirit, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, not your own works, not your own religion, not your own ability, but if you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone, I want you to know the Holy Spirit is there to work you through the tribulations and work you through the difficult times and bring you out on the other side with the hope of the glory of God. So I want you to see that. I want you to know that. I want you to experience that daily in your walk with Christ because it is vital and it is so very important. Paul says the Spirit is at work to bring glory to God in your life and to bring, bring patience in your life and to bring endurance and character and, and, and hope and, and to keep you from being disappointed in this life. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we don't talk enough about the work of the Holy Spirit daily. Daily in our life. If you're a Christian, you need His Spirit every single moment of every single day. It's not a time when you're, you say, well, I don't need the Holy Spirit today. I don't need the Lord Jesus. I, I, I can do this on my own today. There is never a time like that. And Paul wants us to see it, that this is God's special gift. It's not, a, it's not something extra that super Christians get. It's the gift to every true believer. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to endure and have hope and ultimately see the glory of God because the Holy Spirit is constantly working in our life. Sometimes to bring conviction of sin. If a believer is walking in sin and does not sense a conviction of that sin, does not have a desire to walk from that sin, then they ought to be scared to death. Because the Spirit of God working in your life will not leave you alone. So Paul says that's a gift. Secondly, Paul wants us to see that the Holy Spirit was given to us at a particular time namely at our conversion or our salvation or when we were justified. God never withholds it from us. God never says, now if you'll try hard enough and pray hard enough and you know, study your Bible hard enough, I will at some point give you the Holy Spirit. No, I give the, the Spirit to you as a gift when you come to faith in Christ. And the third thing Paul wants to see here in light of this tribulation and suffering and the immediate and continuing effect and the ultimate effect of the glory of God, Paul wants us to see very clearly that one of the Holy Spirit's distinctive ministries to the believer is to pour God's love into our hearts. To reaffirm God's love for us. Even when things are difficult. Even when we're going through hard times. Even when we're going through good times. But, but the Spirit is pouring out the, the love of God into our heart. We know that Jesus said, or, or John quoted in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
giving love is a part of the mission and the, and the work of Christ. God gave his only begotten son that we who believe in him would have eternal life, never, never perish and have eternal life. We, we know that's true. We, we know the apostle John talks about it in his first letter uh, to, to, to that young church when he said, you know, the love of God is being poured out and, and if you know the love of God, you'll love one another. And if you know the love of God, you'll hate sin. And if you know the love of God in your life, you will desire not to sin. You'll desire not to disobey God because that's the Holy Spirit's work, pouring out the love of God into your life and into my life. So vital. Vital part of the Holy Spirit. It, it's done in such a way, I, I love this. John Stott says, it's done in such a way that that initial outpouring remains a permanent flood. Think about that a minute. The Holy Spirit is pouring the love of God out into our life in such a way that that initial outpouring when we came to Christ, when we trusted Christ, and the Holy Spirit said, God loves you, and he pours that love out in your heart, that that, that initial outpouring is a constant flowing flood in your life and my life if we are in Christ. It's not talking about an outpouring of the Spirit here. It's not talking about what happened at Pentecost. It's talking about the Spirit that has been given that is pouring something out a ministry into our hearts. It's an objective way and a distinctive way by which we are assured of his love. It's how he has proved his love by Christ's death on the cross and sending the Holy Spirit. Do you remember back in chapter 3? Just, just briefly look back with me to 325. Do you remember Paul said there, who talking about the 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 death of Christ, the cross of Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of all who have faith in Jesus. Paul said in chapter 3, the cross is a picture of the justice of God. The cross and the sending of the Holy Spirit to work in your life is a picture of his justice. And he is still just. He is a perfect, holy, righteous, just God. But because of the cross, he can now be the justifier of the ungodly, the justifier of you and me, declaring us righteous in his sight. And there he talks about the cross having been a sign of judgment and the cross having been a sign of justice. And now in this point, he comes to the cross and the giving of the Holy Spirit and God's love is shown to us. God's love is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now the cross is a demonstration of his love and a confirmation of his love and a, and a broad, loud proclamation and declaration that God's love for you is real, even in the midst of of difficult times, which we all go through. You see, we live in a day that says, you know, if I'm suffering or in tribulation or unhappiness, I'm just going to quit. I'm either just going to quit in the walk that I have entered into, or, or I'm going to quit trying to endure 
and I'm going to do it my own way. Paul says, that's not the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Yeah, but I know that in reality what God wants is my happiness. Somebody tell me that last week uh, in Canada. But I just believe God wants me to be happy. And they were living in abject sin. And I said, you're, you're going to be happy for a season, but that's happiness is, that, that's going to turn to misery if you are a child of God because God's Spirit will not let you live there. But, but we live in this culture that says, oh, God just wants us to be happy no matter what that is. And I always come back to the fact that the Scripture indicates that God wants us to be holy more than He wants us to be happy. And as I look out across our land, and I wonder why we are in such the, the disarray that we're in, such the confusion that we're in, why, why there's so much ungodliness in the land and ungodliness in the nation, ungodliness in the government, ungodliness wherever we look. I, I fear it's because there's so much ungodliness in the church. You see, in many cases, we look more like the world than we do the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, than we do the body of Christ. Far too often, it seems we're pursuing what the world is pursuing, fame, money, whatever it is, and, and we'll do anything to get it. It's not a matter of is that leading to holiness or not. Is it leading me to what I want when I want it? If you haven't grieved over situations in our own denomination, our own convention in the last month and a half, two months, then, then wake up. Wake up because we are in a situation where we have taken our eyes too much off Christ, too much off the Holy Spirit, and we have placed our eyes on man far too long. And we're reaping the fruit of that. And the world is looking at us and saying, well, what do you mean? that You claim to be something and you look just like we do. What is the difference? What is the difference? Paul would say, here's the difference. The person who is in Christ has the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is working about endurance and patience and, and, and character and truth and righteousness and godliness and holiness, the Holy Spirit in the life of the true believer is shaping. He's not passive. He's not inactive. He's shaping and working and chiseling and, and sawing and sandpapering and however you want to look at it in the life of the believer. Because God is not content to leave us looking like the world. We need to recognize that, folks. We need to see that, that Christianity is not coming to church in a building one time a week and saying, oh, well, everything's fine, I'm here, I've done my thing for God. No. Christianity is life. Christianity is discipleship. Christianity is committed to the person of Jesus Christ and saying, I will be obedient by His grace and by His power as much as He gives to me. I want to be like Christ. That's my desire. That's my desire. 
And I fail miserably. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Far, so far from perfect, I can't even see it. But that's what I want. And that's what the true disciple of Jesus Christ wants. That's what the person who's truly been converted, regenerated, justified, paid for by the blood of Christ. That's what they really want. They can't be satisfied with just got my hour in, did my time. Isn't God fortunate that I took the time to give to him this hour? And maybe even drop something in the offering plate. That's not Christianity. That's religiosity. That doesn't mean attendance and giving is not a part of discipleship. It is. But if that is the essence of discipleship, it is not discipleship. The call of Christ on our life is for all of life. Not just a part, not just a little. And Paul said, I want you to see, if you want to know what's, how suffering will lead to glory, if you want to know how suffering will lead to maturity, if you want to know how suffering will produce endurance and endurance produce character and character produce hope in Christ and hope will not put you to shame or disappoint you, then I want you to know you must experience the grace of God, the love of God poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. There is no other way. Paul, in writing this book, giving us the grandest expression of the Christian faith you'll find anywhere in the New Testament in the book of Romans. He's saying to you and me, Christianity is a changed life. It's not a religious life. It's not a ritualistic life. It's a new life. Behold, all old things have passed away. And all things have become new. Pray with me. I asked the question in the sermon title, Suffering. Can it really be helpful? Yeah. In the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life, it's not only helpful, it's necessary. Father, I come before you right now, Lord, and I I lift up every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place. Some, Lord, who perhaps need to come to Christ today, who need to just trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Maybe they've been religious. Maybe they're a church member. But they've never encountered the living Christ by your Holy Spirit, by your grace. And, Lord, your Holy Spirit is drawing them to yourself today. And I pray, Father, they would come. Perhaps there's others, Lord, who fit in the vast majority of church members today who say, well, I'm, I'm a church member and I'm here when I can be, when I want to be. And I enjoy it when I'm here, like the music, tolerate the sermon, get along. But 
who you need to just show them the power of the Holy Spirit in their life this day. Father, we pray for our nation. Ungodliness, antichrist, all around. But Lord, they need to see the church, so I pray for your church to be what you've called us to be. Father, your love is so deep for us. That's what Paul's saying. Holy Spirit has poured your love out in our hearts, and it's a, it's a deep love. It's a, it's a passionate love beyond anything we could even imagine as passion. It's a love that sent your son to the cross in our place. How deep is the Father's love for us? Lord, as we sing that, show us the depth and the width and the height and the breadth of it, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.